Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another week of Two Man Advantage, the playoff podcast, Monday morning. Yeah, it's hard to believe that we are crashing headlong toward Labor Day weekend. By the end of this week, we will know the final four teams in the NHL playoffs. The conference finals will be set. Heck, they could be set in... 24 hours or 36 hours and let's start to unpack an interesting weekend with players returning to action Pluto Shinzawa our excellent Boston writer Pluto how are you doing how welcome to two-man advantage again Monday morning thanks for getting our week off to uh, to a good start happy to be here Scott well, even if you're not, it's kind of you to say. And uh, I, I just, I, I want to, I want to sort of step back uh, before we get into this uh, Tampa Boston series. Um, all four, sorry, all four series, right? Yeah, two in each conference are at this stage as we start Monday morning at three-one. So we're in elimination situations for the two games that will be played on Monday evening, same thing on Tuesday. It could all be done Tuesday evening. And, and as I mentioned, we could have identified the Final Four. And I wonder if, the, I mean, is, is there a surprise to you that we're in this situation? Is there Are there any, uh, I don't know, trends or, or messages to be gleaned from the fact that, we, that these series could all be over in a heartbeat, really, in... in, the, in in five games. Yeah, I think if you look at it, Scott, the the sterility of, of the bubble has to have some kind of effect that once you get down without the crowd there, it's it's now we see how significant especially playing in front of your home crowd can be. Even even in in the enemy building that that can can rile guys up if they get down in a game or in a series that they have something significant to play for in terms of having that emotional boost and also i have to think that once you get down in a game in a series you can't help but think boy this really sucks i want to go home (laughs) and that that you can't have that in the play you can't have any distractions in the playoffs right you have to be laser focused on what you have to do to be successful and to have even that little doubt—not even you're not obviously you're not thinking about it during the game—but to spend part of your day talking with your wife and kids or whatever back home and, and wishing that you could be there. And this is uh, five weeks now that they've been away. That really—that's very very difficult. So uh, that that is mental strain, and I have to believe that it has some effect on the team and the players that are down. So, yeah, that the fact that we see four three-to-one series in in retrospect, probably not surprising. Yeah, it, I, I think that's a great point. You know, what struck me, though, is that, I, you know, I found the games, you know, for the most part to be, you know, really compelling. Like, and, and so let me ask it as a question, especially after the, the two-day post moment, uh, after the players got together and decided that they weren't going to play games on uh, Thursday and Friday last week, you know, sort of a, it, it was, it, you know, it was an important pause, I think, for the NHL and specifically for the NHL players who were really driving the bus on this. But then to sort of step back into it, I, I, the first game was at noon Eastern on Saturday, you're back into it. And I was curious to see what kind of 
just what the games would be like. But I thought they got back up to a, a pretty high level of competition, as befitting the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, um, in the games after the, the postponements. And I wonder if you felt the same or if you were watching sort of critically to see what it would look like after the pause. I wonder what you thought of that. Well, from a from a Boston perspective, uh, no, <laughs> they, they they get down against Tampa, three goals, and it was cl- very clear that they're not there. There was no comeback for them, just given the way that Tampa has been. And full credit to them, they've been playing so thoroughly, so efficiently. Vasilevsky looked about ten feet tall, um, and and this this is they're doing it without McDonough and Stamkos. Seven uh, Ds. Yeah, that's 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 remarkable. Uh, and uh, at, on on every uh, in every area, they've been better than the Bruins. And this is uh, the the best team in the league in the regular season. Um, so full credit to Tampa. They've been they've been excellent uh, as far as the the Bruins go. Yes, you can you can say that the they they played professionally. That they 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 certainly tried. The effort was there, but. Just not as good as Tampa. Yeah, it's uh, that uh, series has not gone. I, I mean, I guess I didn't have a sense really how that series was going to, going to unfold. I mean, arguably, uh, you know, two of the the top teams in the NHL, two teams that you could have you know readily expected to, you know, in a normal pattern, you know, go to you go deep into the playoffs, maybe win a Stanley Cup, and with the Bruins losing three in a row now, it does look like. They truly are a, a team right on the edge, and I get you know you wrote about it, and I thought it was I thought it was beautifully done. But there's sort of a sense of I don't know whether it's sadness or melancholy. Maybe it's just Monday morning. Maybe I get all weepy before I have you know my second Duncan on a Monday morning. But you know this is this very well this game this evening could be the end for Zidane Ochara, one of the greatest defensemen of his generation. Uh, such an important figure in the Bruins and, and their, you know, evolution in that marketplace. And, and I think really one of the, the true leaders of, of the game it, itself. And I wonder, you know, when, what's, it, what's it like for you to consider that this could be the last game that, that you'll cover as a, as a reporter covering this Bruins team, that this might be the last time that he is on the ice as a captain of that team? Sad. You're right. Yeah. It's sad. Because um, you look at first of all as, as a player, there there has never been a player like that. Literally, six foot nine, uh, the as strong as you get, the stick, the reach, the wingspan, and I, I think the most remarkable thing about the way he has played is the evolution. This this game was not, especially the the way the game is, is played now. It's not designed. For, for a player like Zidano. Right. He grew up and he came up in the, the cross-check in the back, just slashing, holding, just pure violence in front of the net. And now here we have this game that is optimized for players like Point and Barzell and McDavid and, and these guys that you, you would look at and say, boy, Zidano has no chance against these guys. And he's still... It, now it's been a little bit diminished in the playoffs, but in the regular season, when he had proper training and everything was going right, he was still a a first pairing defensive defenseman and and PK specialist because of the stick, the smarts, the the strength, everything was there. And then from just the the the, the person standpoint, oh, just a nice man, uh, layered, 
complex. And then Bruce Cassidy mentioned this earlier in the playoffs, is that he was, he's been so grateful to have Zdeno uh, wear the C for as long as he has, just because that's, that's, the room is not something that costs Bruce any sleep at night, just right. because everybody falls in line. Uh, he, Zdeno doesn't call anybody rookies. They're all first-year pros. There's no... Uh, it's 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 a completely professional culture that he and Patrice with, with he's been right there with them that they've really established in Boston and yes if you look at that that signing back in 2006 that was as good of a free agent signing as you'll ever see in sports to say to let alone the league to to sign Zdeno and have him um, impact the game uh, bring them to a cup. Uh, and and then and then lead, um, especially at his position. He's 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 been a mentor to first Dougie Hamilton, uh, Brandon Carlo for a year. Now Charlie McAvoy and Charlie is is well on his way to becoming a, a high end all around defenseman. So, uh, yeah, he's never been in this position of playing an elimination game without a contract for the following year. So you can't look at next year and say, this is going to be normal. Who knows if it's ever going to start on time? Uh, who knows if he wants to be back? Um, it's, 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 it's complicated. But, yeah, to, to think of this being the end for him, yeah, that's, it, it is tough to think about. <laughs> I, I'm trying, I can't remember exactly which playoff run it was for the Bruins. It, it, it might have been in 11. Maybe it was when, during the the 13 run to the, the final. But I remember being, you know, heading to the rink one morning and he, there was Daniel riding his bike along. And again, you know, he was just riding his way up to work and getting ready for his game. And, you know, people are waving at him. Hey, Z. Like, I just, I'm like, that is, I mean, just how cool is that? That that is part of, you know, like he really embraced that being part of the fabric of, of the community, not just a, a player on that team, but but my sense is that he's been critically important to to the whole community. And I, I you know, we talk about legacy often, and uh, and here we are. I'm heaping d- shovelfuls of dirt on the Bruins. They they could back come back and win it, but uh, it is uh, he he does strike me as being someone who's you know whose legacy in in Boston and with that team will extend maybe forever i don't know if you think i'm overstating it i hope so no i hope so just because it's true he's he's been an important person um, in the community he's lived uh, downtown north end uh, of boston his his whole career here Um, and who knows i i don't know if he intends to stay in boston once he's done but this is somebody who can do anything in life after he's got his he's certificate in business that he, he studied in Ottawa. He's got his real estate license. He's got three kids, school age children. Uh, who knows what he and his wife and his kids want to do. But they, yes, they've, they've absolutely impacted the community. Um, he's been he's been visible. He's been giving back. He's, he's had a very good relationship with New Balance, the sneaker company. He's been very involved in terms of, of outreach um, and, and, and sneaker donation and, and being a, a good spokesman for the company, uh, also for Warrior, his stick company, and also the, the, the uh, sponsor for the Bruins practice rink. So, yeah, he's been, he's been out there on Thanksgiving delivering pies uh, to homeless shelters. So it's... It's been a really good fit for him. I think he's been happy here. His family's been happy here. Um, 
but I, it, it gives me it gives me pleasure to think of what else he can do if he decides to stay within hockey. Great for him. If not, he can do whatever he wants. So whatever he he does ends up doing, he'll have success because he's driven, he's motivated, he's smart, um, he's humble. Um, so yeah, uh, just just a nice nice person, nice family. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, I, I am curious. We talked a little bit about Tampa and just you know, how how they've been able to. You know, they've. I think the Bruins haven't had a lead since Game Two. Uh, they bolts now seem to play. You know, you want to play. Uh, you know, north south up and down hockey. We'll play it that way. You want to play it in the corners and, you know, rugged style hockey. We can play it that way now. And they do look like a team that is so comfortable in their own skins right now. And I keep and I'm you know here I'm going to heap dirt on the Philadelphia Flyers, but I'm I've been so curious to watch the Islanders play, who who to me have sort of. They've evolved in the other way, right? I mean, Tampa had to get a little grittier. They had to find more sand in their game. Guys like Blake Coleman, Pat Maroon, uh, Zach Bogosian's just been, to me, a revelation on the back end. Even uh, Luke Shen coming into the lineup, Braden Coburn with Ryan McDonough, as you mentioned. But the Islanders seem to have gone the other way, right? We knew they were always under Barry Trotz going to be difficult to play against, that they were going to be able to grind you down because of their structure and all those kinds of things. But they are, they're fast. And man, can they hurt you with their skill? I, you know that Flyer team—they might have played as well as they played, in, you know, in, well, certainly since the start of this series um, against the Islanders, and it still wasn't enough for them, right? They still got they basically still got buried by the Islanders, and I wonder, you know, if we take, you know, if we if we venture into uncharted territory and imagine that both Tampa and the Islanders are, are able to prevail after going up three-one. Those teams are maybe more similar than people would expect them to be, or do you do you think that's fair? It should be a good series. Uh, I, I'll acknowledge I haven't been watching the Flyers Islanders as, as closely as Bruins Lightning, but from what I've seen from Tampa, it's just no weaknesses. Uh, you start with the goalie; he was terrific, um, and he's he's locked in. And uh, you you hear goalie coaches saying this is this is the the perfect uh, distillation of modern goaltending is a guy that yeah he's he's fast athletic he can do get wherever he wants but he's on his feet most of his time he's big he uses his hands well he reads the play um, when he needs to he can he can do the crazy stuff so Vasilevsky's been been awesome um, and then yeah like you said you want to play with speed and skill we'll throw point and Kucherov and plot out there uh, if you want to grind, we'll send out the Gord and Goudreau and and Coleman line. Uh, agree on Bogosian uh, to to for, be completely cast off by Buffalo of all teams, and then to come in and and do what he's done. Terrific. Hedman's been been amazing. Um, and no Stamkos, but you look at secondary threats like uh, the, the. I don't think the second line has been great offensively for Tampa, but Sorelli's been out there playing against Bergeron and, and holding his ground. Um, so that's that's a really, really impressive team. And who knows what the cap will do to them. Um, it looks like, I, I would guess, Kalorn is, is as good as gone in terms of trying to be compliant. But look at that core and the, the age of it. The Gord, uh, Point, Hedman, 
Stamkos, Kucherov, Vasilevsky, all, I yeah. think they're all under 30, right? Yeah. So, Sergech, and then you compare that. Sergachev yeah, on the back end. Sergachev, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And then you compare it to the Bruins. Zidane, 43. Patrice, 35. Krejci, 34. Uh, Tuka, 33. Brad, uh, I think he's 32. So there's, there's a difference there. Um, so if... Uh, yeah, that, that, that should be a good series, but uh, I really like the way Tampa's playing. So if it's them and the Islanders, uh, Islanders are, are in for a dogfight. Well, now that we've talked like this, and I have goaded you into talking as though this is over, uh, I'll call you back later this week when we're getting ready for Game 7 in right. Boston-Tampa. <laughs> you know that's happening. But you should always be reading Fluto's Bruins coverage, whether the Bruins are in or out. And you should look at that at The Athletic Boston and give Fluto a follow at Fluto Shinzawa. Fluto, you have done an amazing job as usual. Thank you. Take the rest of the morning off and get ready for Game 5. And when we come back from our break, we will be talking to a man knee-deep in the Edmonton bubble, Thomas Drantz. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the perfect package kit you get two free gifts the shed travel bag and the manscaped anti-chafing boxer briefs the boxer briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported the waistband is also super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing you need to try this out for yourself so get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code the athletic 20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. Thomas Drance. All right, I'm going to ask you the the question I always ask uh, because, you know, I've been in Georgia a long time now and whenever I talk to anybody anywhere even remotely, you know, in the north. So, any frost yet in Edmonton, or what's the deal? What's the deal going on? Because it's almost Labor Day. So what's the deal in, in Edmonton? It's still nice, Scott. I can still sit on a patio, but there is that occasional chilly northern wind that, that I can feel, especially when the sun goes down or if I'm in the shade. So, you know, winter is coming. There is no question about it. But to this point, it's still nice up here. Phew. Yeah. Thank yeah, goodness. You're not, no i'm just so i like what's um like i have no real sense of what you know what your life is like because you're not in the bubble technically you're sort of adjacent to it and uh, (laughs) but as far as i can tell from your twitter account and of course from your uh your daily postings on the athletic you never leave rogers arena in edmonton but is there are like are there people you know, like, are there people who are interested in this? Like, if you are at a socially safe distance on a patio, I've been to a few patios in Edmonton. Actually, I love, I, I, I love downtown Edmonton. Do you are is are people are they engaged in what's going on, or what's the what's the vibe like around 
the bubble proper in Edmonton. Yeah, you'd be stunned, I think, Scott, by how little buzz there is and by how little buzz there was even when the Oilers were still playing. And and I think that's just a product of we're used to this environment where you're around the rink on a game day and it's everywhere, right? There's It almost feels like an army of fans all clad in the, team, the home team's jerseys you know, go into the game or even watching games. And it's just such a different vibe when you sort of create social distancing environments and games have to be watched en masse outside, you know, with with people well spread out. It just changes the entire dynamic. And, and you know, I have been living at the rink. My, my life in Edmonton is definitely a grind of, you know, getting dressed, putting on my suit, putting on my mask and, and walking to the rink. I did have well, two events yesterday. One is with the Vegas Golden Knights defeating the Vancouver Canucks 6-4. Yesterday, I crossed the 40-game milestone <laughs> since arriving in Edmonton. Uh, so that was a, a strange one, especially because it's all happened in about 30 days. And also, you know, I have hit this point where the arena staff has joked to me on occasion, you know, do you go home? Like, do you go home? <laughs> so I've appreciated that. It, look, it's a it's a very weird tournament. The lack of fans in the building creates a lack of buzz, I think, in the adjacent areas to the bubble. And the games themselves, you know, one place, Scott, where it is really, really cold. Like, it's cold in a lot of NHL arenas, right? You think about the Buffalo Sabres press box, for example. This, it's cold there. Yeah, yeah, this is unlike anything I've ever experienced. Like, it's truly a, you know, w- without thousands, tens of thousands of bodies sort of adding to the temperature, uh, like, it is a bone-chilling cold in that rink at all moments. I'm sure it needs to be to keep the ice decent, you know, decent in August, but boy, has it been cold. That's the one other thing. I, I carry a raincoat and a big sweater with me every time I go. <laughs> well, I've, I'm, I've been and I've reached out to some team executives throughout this this whole process because you know you show you know they'll pan up to the suites wherever mm-hmm. the the you know GMs and assistant GMs are are and team presidents sometimes and and they all they, they all look like they're in some sort of polar this looks like they're at the winter classic yeah. outside right because it's <laughs> and they're all bundled up and and yes to a to a person everyone has been like you would not believe how cold it is in you know i think it's the same in toronto certainly mm-hmm. as it is in edmonton I, i'm curious before we you know i, I want to try and unpack what happened in that vancouver vegas game that for sure that series has been so fun to watch and, and of course dallas colorado the the other western conference series has also just been you know create straight on wacky yes. right? there's a lot of wacky Insanity, stuff going on yeah. in that series but but i was curious what it was like because you're actually in the you're in the building and after the two-day pause, after the games were postponed on Thursday and Friday, um, I, I was just curious what you know whether you got a different vibe in that arena. You, I've loved your ongoing chirping stories about <laughs> what you hear in an empty building, mm. but I wondered if you saw or sensed something different. You know, when those those were two. That was like a I thought a, a seminal forty-eight hour period for the NHL and for the NHL players and coming to grips with what was going on around them and, and making decisions to uh, 
to not play games for two days and all that unfolded. And then to come back and step right back into playoff action on Saturday, I wondered if it was different than you thought it was going to be or maybe what you saw or sensed that maybe indicated, yeah, we this is, you know, we walked back through a different, you know, same door but walked into a different world maybe. Yeah, you know, sort of two things struck me about the pregame on Saturday and, and you know, it was a pregame presentation that the NHL put together and it sort of was capped off with quotes, uh, videos recorded by Bo Horvat and Ryan Reeves sort of telling the story of the last 48 hours and in that, you know, montage, that game presentation montage, there was that line where, and, and I'm sure what played in the East or played in the West also play, ran in the East, but that line where, you know, it's time for us to clarify what we mean when we say who we skate for. And then, you know, they add black lives, right? We skate for black lives, right? Like, w- which was essentially the NHL, uh, the way I read it anyway, admitting that they'd perhaps not gone far enough. Not, not even perhaps, that they hadn't gone far enough in the, adve- in the lead up to this tournament in addressing these issues. That to me was a really interesting thing, a really powerful thing, uh, evolving the message and, and really sort of essentially taking responsibility, right? Tapping yourself on the chest twice and saying, that's on me, right? Uh, that was an interesting dynamic, something I don't think we've seen the NHL do a ton of, right, in my experience. And, and I thought something that resonated. And then the last thing is they ran the... James Baldwin quote, right? And it's yes. nothing can yes. be changed that isn't faced, essentially. That's a paraphrase, but but excuse me, it's 7.25 yep, in the morning here. Yes. And <laughs> No, you got it pretty much all. So good for you. <laughs> and the idea of a James Baldwin quote being displayed on a jumbotron ahead of an NHL playoff game, that hit different, right? That's something that I never would have expected or thought we'd see uh, to to be totally honest with you, right? Like that just seemed such a, like such a drastic departure from what I've seen in at every other live hockey game I've ever attended my entire life, whether whether as a PR executive or or as a you know fan or as a media member. And to me, that spoke volumes, even as there was no voice accompanying it. Um, that this was sort of you know, an acknowledgement of a 48 hours that will hopefully, right? I mean, I mean, it will for sure go down as a historic moment in NHL history, but hopefully, you know, a, a sort of key juncture, a fork in the road as the NHL looks to chart a new path forward. Yeah, no, I, I agree entirely. And then, listen, we, you know, we'll, we'll find out, but we may, may not find out for a while you know, with just what that fork meant and, and how, you know, what that path is like after. But I, I'm with you. When I saw that Baldwin quote, I was like, okay, that is like kudos to whoever, you know, to, to brought that together. And, and listen, we lots of us kicked the NHL and the players in the shins pretty good Wednesday night. But uh, that was that was a pretty marked departure in tone and tenor. Um, and in terms of the the bedrock of the message, I think from what we saw Wednesday night, so it was uh, it was interesting to see, and 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 I and I think gratifying on 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 many levels. I, I don't know if you felt the same way or not. No, I did, I did, and uh, you know, I did. Wednesday was such a crazy day because 
the news unfolded like wildfire in the world of professional sports on the whole. And I could empathize with the NHL. Like, you know, I've been in meetings discussing game postponements. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tough call. And I felt like that one was an especially tough call because of how quickly things were unfolding. You know, I was sympathetic when I heard the players say, like, we were an hour and a half out for for warm-ups, right? We didn't see the news till we got to the rink, uh, you know. And I'm also sensitive to the fact that, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of folks who kicked the. Sh- can I can I swear on this podcast? Sorry, I just filed my do it, chirp. Do story. whatever you want. Yeah, do whatever who, you want. Who, you, you, you know that Jeff Demetrio <laughs> put the warning out there, so he's on yeah, top of it. Who kicked the shit out of the players for inaction on that Wednesday? And, and to some extent, I understand that there were bigger things at play. But on the other hand, I think about some of the conversations I've had with guys like Jordy Ben, who's you know who left and, and entered the Edmonton bubble five days after the birth of his first child, or some of the players who are missing genuinely first steps or significant milestones in the, the lives of their families, right? Or have kids going back to school in complicated and, and scary situations in various markets across North America. Uh, you know, this is not an easy time. And for the most part, the general mentality from players here has been, let's, let's push on, let's get through this, right? Like, let's, let's go. And so, you know, I think it makes sense that it took some time for players to process this, right? That they weren't going to naturally understand and work together to postpone, you know, on two or three hours notice or or four hours notice in the case of the games in the Western bubble, the Colorado Dallas game, which I attended. And, you know, I sort of went to that game and I was like, boy, you know, I, I think this was a really tough decision for the NHL. And as I stood there, because I stand at my, perch at the top of the 200 level in Rogers place and watch the game unfold, you know, I found myself really disliking that I was there at all, really disliking that the game was there. I made a determination pretty early that I wasn't really going to cover it the way I cover everything else on Twitter. And honestly, Scott, and I I know this is nuts, but where it really hit home for me was to watch Boston lose 7-1 in the playoffs and know what my Twitter feed would usually look like. I, I mean, granted, I follow a lot of Vancouver people, but also a lot of people in the online hockey community, a lot of the jokers. Um, you know, a 7-1 Boston playoff loss should be cause for celebration on my Twitter feed, and no one was talking about it. And and that, for me, was a, a, a moment where it just hit home for me that, you know, no matter what, no one cares about the hockey tonight. And that's right. That's the right thing for fans to do. I think just from that perspective, I do wish that, you know, the NHL had understood that and maybe stepped in, done more to protect their players on Wednesday night because Wednesday night was about bigger things than hockey. And once NHL players made the decisions that they did prove themselves gentlemen off the ice on Thursday, uh, you know, I think Thursday and Friday were well served by being absent yeah. of any hockey action. Yeah, agreed. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Thomas, and when we come back, we will talk some incredible, I think, some incredible action in your mm-hmm. bubble with the games returning in two teams now on the edge of elimination. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Thomas, I was thinking about you as I was watching, and I was watching that game, and I was, you know, you, I've been so fascinated by this Vancouver team, and you know sort of I feel like we're watching them grow up and mature and 
in in front of our very eyes in the most unusual circumstances. Mm-hmm. Elias Pettersson, what you know, just a, a tour de force really in this playoff uh, tournament and. J.T. Miller and Bo Horvat, all of that, and yet it doesn't seem to matter what the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> do. The Vegas Golden Knights are like they like they're to me they're like we we you know they're like the giant you know reaching down and, and you know ruffling the hair of a small boy, right? I mean it just you know you want to have a goaltending controversy, okay? Robin Leonard pitches two shutouts. Yeah. Uh, you want to have you want Mark Andre Fleury to play? Okay, he comes in and he makes. You know, three or four highlight reel saves, and and Vegas just seems there just seems to be so powerful, and they score three goals in five minutes and thirty seven seconds of the third period, and turn a Vancouver lead into a five three victory, and now they're up three one. And I wonder, uh, Fluto Shinzawa and I were talking, you know, about Tampa really having their way with Boston, and basically we started to do the the post mortem right away, and I wonder. You know, it feels like it feels like this is it for Vancouver, right? It feels like this team really did hit a wall, you know, in being down three one tomorrow night, uh, possibly going home. I don't know what's your what's your sense of it. Yeah, I think the you know when I was watching the game last night, especially the Canucks put in a bounce back performance, right? Like they brought everything they could have effort wise. To the game, and I actually thought they played well. They didn't have a good start, but aside from that, I thought they did just about everything they can against Vegas. To be totally honest with you, and to some extent, they didn't quite get the goaltending right. That's been a story in this series. If Vancouver was going to win, they really needed to make Vegas's goaltending a story, and they needed to get the better goaltending. And and they haven't. Yep. And that's a credit to right. Leonard and Flurry more than it is. Uh, a knock on Markstrom, to be very clear. They're not here without him, right? But uh, I do think that's sort of one dynamic. And, you know, nonetheless, I thought Vancouver threw everything they had at the wall. And and that's sort of become my big picture takeaway, I think, for this Canucks team. And and I think back to a conversation, Scott, that I had with Patrick Sharp, uh, obviously uh, of the, you know, (laughs) Blackhawks dynasty. And he was talking about how as that team went on, Right, And you had moments like Patrick Kane score shorthanded with seven seconds left against Nashville. And Jonathan Taves ties it up in Game 7 against the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, the showtime moment and the two, two goals in 16 seconds to win a cup and on and on, right? That they began to sort of go to the dressing room after big periods or clutch goals or they'd be sitting on the bench and they'd look to each other. And it was like there's something in these jerseys, right? And... They had that confidence before they ever ho- hoisted a cup. Certainly they had that confidence before they ever hosted a, hoisted a cup a second time, right? Before they became the contemporary equivalent of a dynasty. And, and one thing we've seen from this Canucks team is they do bounce back and they do work really hard. Like there's a resilient sort of gene here, uh, uh, even among their young core players. And, you know, last night looked to me like a team for today – just absolutely rubbing a team built for tomorrow's face in it, right? Like there is a different caliber of club on display here, just in terms of their depth, as Pete DeBoer alluded to post-game, but also in terms of the maturity of the players involved. And, you know, there's no shame in losing to the Golden Knights, especially if you turn up and play the way the Vancouver Canucks did in Game 4. And 
the overall effort level that they brought, the overall performance they put in, even if it didn't matter based on the way that Vegas just took over that third period. Uh, nonetheless, I sort of look at that as my big picture takeaway. Like in, in the years to come, one thing that I'll know about Pedersen, about Hughes, about Bo Horvat is that when their backs are against the wall, I actually trust that this, this young core is going to show up and bring it. And to have that at this point in this team's development, I mean, I think that's something they can really hang their hat on and and look at themselves in the mirror with pride about, regardless of how this series goes from here. And certainly it's an incredibly tall task to to think about beating a team of this Golden Knights caliber three in a row. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, yes. And and we've seen this Vancouver team, you know, sort of get itself up off the mat and Mm -hmm. uh, it did, did seem like that might have been it last night, but who knows? Before I let you go, though, Thomas, you know, at the beginning of this, and perhaps you and I talked about it on one of these morning podcasts, but this notion that we sort of project ahead and wouldn't it be fun to see a Colorado-Vegas Western Conference final? Well, uh, the Dallas yeah. Stars apparently have another idea about that. And, you know, having spent a year in Dallas, and uh, this is... This team and the way they have played against a Colorado team that, you know, just has so much going for it offensively. I, I've just been so impressed with Rick Bonus and Anton Hudobin, of course, because he's carrying the load with uh, uh, Ben Bishop still unable to play. Um, but the whole, they're, they seem now like a team that is so comfortable in what they're doing and have the firm belief that it doesn't really matter what Colorado does, that they're going to be okay. And even though that was a bit of a wacky one, you know, ended up 5-4, horrific Kale McCarr giveaway that turns out to be the game winner. But that's a bit of a, that's kind of, it, it, that game was well over. They, you know, it, it, they stars have made it 4-2. So, you know, I, I don't think it's fair to pin that on Kale McCarr. But I wonder if, if there's an element of surprise when you watch the stars and I know that you're there in the building where you're like I did not think this team would do that yeah especially when I think about their (laughs) offensive output right like this stars team did not look to me like they'd have this in them now the one guy I want to single out just because I've been thinking about this and I haven't had a chance to write it yet so I'm glad to have a a venue to talk about this I think the most underrated player in the western conference and, and this has been increasingly clear to me as this tournament has gone along is John Klingberg Right, Klingberg's nice. increasingly yes. overshadowed too by Miro Heskinen, and I don't. I want to take nothing away from Miro Heskinen, who has just he's got to have the highest hockey IQ of anyone I've seen in the Western Bubble. You know, right on right on a level with Quinn Hughes, but in a sort of different direction. Right, a little more defensive, um, where where whereas Quinn Hughes is slowing the game down and and getting that push. But John Klingberg has been tremendous in this playoff. He's a crucial part of why Dallas is here to this point. Uh, it's amazing that the Stars have reinvented themselves as this offensive juggernaut, although how much of that is Av's goaltending? I think a fair bit. And so, you know, Dallas is pretty impressive. That said, when I think about this series, the main impression that I have is that when Colorado turns on that high-octane offensive game that they're able to play with most of the time and go full send it looks withering 
and it looks to me like the Stars can't hit it. And then I look at the scoreboard, and they've somehow won. And it's like the results are not matching at all what I'm seeing in terms of the flow of play. And, and when that tends to happen, I tend to think that a team has a chance still to claw back in the series. We haven't seen anyone claw back from the brink and bubble life. I do think there's a distinct psychology at play, something I asked Jared Bednar about yesterday and that he sort of copped to. When I asked Travis Green about it, he kind of rejected it. So it goes. But the overall feeling that I have with Colorado is that this is a team that has the single most competitive guy in the league on it in Nathan McKinnon. Uh, this is a team that, to this point, while they while they haven't been able to get the stops and while there have been some wacky mistakes that have cost them dearly, I nonetheless think that this team is one that if I was going to bet on the four teams that are down, you know, three to one at this point in the second round, I think the Colorado Avalanche are the team that I've sort of got my eye on as capable of, you know, really sort of making this interesting going forward. Good point, and uh, I, I'm, I'm all for a little drama. I'm not going anywhere. now. I'm not going <laughs> to a cold arena twice a day, but yeah. So, uh, anyway, it's always great to, to catch up, Thomas, and, and your insights from inside that arena have been outstanding, both when you've joined me here on the Two-Man Advantage Playoff Edition and all of your writing, so thank you for that. And you should read Thomas's Canucks coverage and his hockey coverage in general at The Athletic Vancouver and give Thomas a follow at Thomas Trance and download his podcast, The Vancast, with co-host Jeff Patterson. And if you've got some time in your hands before you want to check out Elimination Hockey, you should check out Arthur Staple has a new edition of No Sleep Till Belmont every week at The Athletic. He'll be keeping an eye on a Islander team that right now, I, I just I don't know who's going to stop them. Maybe it'll be Tampa. Maybe it'll be Philly, but I don't think so. Uh, you should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show's URL, theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. And guess what? We're going to do this exact same thing tomorrow morning, and you don't want to miss it. So until then, have a great day.